Hey guys, welcome to the men's global live stream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots, one in Titus chapter two and the other in John chapter 13. We're in part five, our final session of a series we're calling Seriously. And what we've been doing is really simple. We've been taking a look at what it means biblically to take God's person seriously, to take God's word seriously, and today to take Jesus's example as a man seriously. And what we've done is we've looked at men who battled, just like you and I do, to remember that when God speaks, he expects us to take what he says seriously and to live out. Key concept, live out what he says seriously. And last time in part four, uh, we saw that Jesus was actually tracking what he said and then how the disciples responded and he wasn't telling them that he was tracking. And what was he looking for? He was he was looking for uh, one thing, to see if they were selectively listening and actually applying what he said. And then after coming to his conclusion, after tracking them for a while, he said to his guys, hey guys, a tree is recognized by its fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying, your actual conduct reflects your truest character. Or maybe another way of putting it is your activity, your actual activity reflects your truest identity. And then he, he drops the hammer and he says, so why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? In other words, they were like that tree that, that bears fruit that doesn't reflect the source. They called themselves God's men, but what they were producing in actual choices and actions wasn't reflecting that they were followers of Christ. And what was the issue? The issue was taking what he says seriously as seen in how they live. Now that is the literal first come to Jesus meeting. And in this series, we are actually having ongoing come to Jesus meetings. We're letting God's words, we're letting the words of Christ speak in a living way right now into our lives. And today in our final session, we're gonna see that Jesus not only wants us to take what he says seriously, but he wants us to take the example that he sets for his followers just as seriously as men. So I wanna start uh, today's session by asking you a question. And the question is this, have you ever heard these words? Do as I say, not as I do. You ever heard that weak and hollow and empty encouragement coming out of a man or maybe even coming out of yourself, what it means is that there's a standard that a man knows is right, but the man's actual choices and example is wrong. And what the man is doing is he's discouraging imitation. Now, Jesus is the exact opposite for every man that's chosen uh, to follow him. In fact, he courage, encourages imitation, and it comes right as an invitation. He'll just say, follow me. And it means more than just getting in line behind him and tracking him physically. It means follow me in the way I, I am. Follow me in the way I believe. Follow me in the way I behave. In fact, taking Jesus seriously is synonymous with following his example. I'm going to say that one more time. Following Jesus 
is synonymous with following his example. And just like the first uh, disciples, man, Jesus's example is challenging. Jesus's example in his culture and in our culture is radical. And it will challenge the rules that perhaps we grow up with or perhaps that we're soaking in when it comes to broken and and wrong male culture. So this is what we're gonna look like today uh, in this final session. We're gonna explore the power of Jesus's modeling and his message that he sent to God. And then we're gonna look at, man, are we following that example? And what message are we sending to God? So uh, here's where we're headed today. You might wanna take out your, your, your downloaded notes. We're gonna get God's mind on taking him seriously, just as we've done in parts one through four. And then we're gonna look at the lesson of Jesus, a serious example for serious men. So let's look at our first verse, just get God's mind once again on how serious he is that we respond to when he speaks. It says this in Titus chapter two, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God appearing, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So what we have here in this passage is five things that we want to unpack, right? And the first thing that we see is serious grace revealed. Say, Kenny, what do you mean? Well, serious grace is the kind of grace that offers salvation, right? Grace is when you get something, but you don't actually do anything to merit it. It's just you get it, right? You didn't do anything to deserve it or unmerited favor, right? Well, what did we get from God? We got some serious grace. How serious? It's the kind of grace that brings salvation, right? The second thing that we see is a serious life response. The intended impact of serious grace, the kind that brings salvation, right, is that his appearing through Christ is me transforming. That's the response. So God reveals his grace. We recognize it. We internalize it. And that brings a serious life response that involves the next two things, right? God appears, his grace is revealed, and that has an impact on us. We transform in what way? Well, it teaches us, the Bible says, to say no, a strong no to worldliness and to self. That's your next fill-in. That's the first strong response. So God's grace appears in our lives. We get salvation. What's our life response? We start saying no to ungodliness and we start saying no to self. We start living self-control and we reject kind of the cultural identities that are out there that tell us how to be a man. The second part of the response is not just a no. So we say no to self and worldliness, but then we say yes to Christ 
and godliness. In fact, that yes is more powerful than our no. And there's a principle there, fellas, that that when when God comes into your life and you rev- you understand his revealed grace in Christ and what that accomplishes for you, right? Your life response is now I understand who I am. I understand God loves me. Now I'm going to start living out of my identity. And what does that involve? It involves a strong no to to self and worldliness. And then it also involves a more stronger yes to Christ and godliness. And just as a sustaining factor, the fifth thing that we see in this passage after serious grace revealed, serious life response, strong no to self and worldliness, strong yes to Christ and godliness is this. We see the strongest motivation possible. You notice in the scripture that after it goes through those first three, first four truths, it says that Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that's the first part of our motivation, right? And also that he's going to appear. So when God reveals his grace, the action that he takes is unbelievable. He sends his only son who is immersed in agony so that we can be accepted by God. And when we see that, we want to live a life that is essentially a thank you back to God. We've got some new no's and some new yeses, and our yeses please God. So Christ gave himself gave himself for us, and guess what? Christ is coming back. We're waiting right now for his appearing. So the motivation of the hope of being with him, the motivation of what Jesus actually did for us, those are the strongest motivations possible, right? To take God, his person, what his work was on our behalf, seriously. And we read about that in Romans chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. The death he died, that's Jesus, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do you see the connection? A serious act by God changes our perspective, changes the way we think, and it leads us into a serious life for God. I want you to note or circle on your downloaded notes those words. In the same way, count yourselves. So God took our separation from him seriously, and he did a serious act of grace. And then in the same way, he wants us to respond reciprocally and see an equal level of response. Jesus dies for sin, we die to sin. And we start living for God. What does that look like? Well, thankfully, we have a perfect example of what living for God on earth before we go back to him in heaven looks like in the person of Jesus. So let's go to the lesson of Jesus, a serious example for serious men, all right? And we see that Jesus' strong example for us in his own actions comes from a, a very strong place inside of him. And we read about that in John chapter 13. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. 
So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Do you guys see this picture? It's very vivid. You have Jesus, and you have this thought process in Jesus. What was that thought process? He is having a self-conversation, and his self-conversation is that he knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was turning, he was returning to God. So here we are at, at, at this last meeting in John 13 with his guys. There's this inner place that Jesus is in, knowing that he came from God, that God had given him all power, that he was returning to God. And from that place, Jesus gets up and he does something radical. So I want us to see what Jesus knew and what he did. So what did Jesus know? What place inside was he coming from? Two things. Jesus knew that victory was certain, right? Jesus knew that victory was certain. Jesus knew that the future is set, all right? And because he knew that victory was certain and the future is set, his action was shocking. His action was shocking. Now, this is the first force of Jesus's example. And many of you are going, hey, bro, you got to go back and do that first fill in, right? The first force of Jesus's example is the force of demonstration, right? His example, he had to demonstrate, first of all. So he comes from this place inside of knowing truth, and he's sure that his victory is certain. He's sure that his future is set. And then from that place, he takes shocking action. So when you look at this picture, you might just go, oh, well, you know, he gets up and, yeah, that's pretty cool. He No, this is, this is shocking. Masters do not serve the students, right? The greater person does not serve the lesser person, all right? So this is a shocking thing that their master uh, is, is doing, all right? And it shows that because Jesus was coming from this place knowing that his victory was certain and that his future was set, he had authority over the spirit of culture and the, way, the ways of man to do something that wasn't worldly, it was godly. So let me ask you, are you certain today that your victory is set in God and in Christ? Are you 100% sure that your future is set? Because if you are, that's the same place and space inside that pushed Jesus to demonstrate shocking service of other people. So that's the first force 
of Jesus's example. It's the force of demonstration and what's pushing that along, doing something shocking, showing a strong example, is that he's free. What does he know? His future is set, his victory is certain. And in that knowledge, man, he's free now to do something really radical. You know, guys, that's what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to lead by example, coming from a place of knowing that our victory is certain in Christ and through his life and death and resurrection, we win. He wants us to come from a place of knowing, hey, our future in heaven is set. And then because we know that, just like he did, we're going to start doing some radical things and it's going to turn heads. And people are going to go, where does that come from? And when they ask, we're going to tell them. All right. So that's the first force of Jesus's example, the force of demonstration. Let's look at the second force of Jesus's example. It's the force of implication. All right. Same chapter of the Bible. Let's roll the film and see what happens after Jesus does this shocking act of service. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So we have a very uncomfortable moment right here. Jesus has demonstrated by example something very shocking. Clearly, Peter receives the force of implication. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, right? Is this what it means to be a disciple? And he's responding and he's reacting. And what is he seeing, right? And what do we see in this passage, okay? We see three things, right? Number one, we see humility serves. We see humility at play. We see a king become a servant. Combine those two. Jesus, the servant king. Now, that doesn't make sense to them. It actually doesn't make sense when you look at men and how people of power operate. Usually, they're the ones who serve. But Jesus is king of a kingdom that has authority over culture and worldliness and the ways of men. This king serves. This leader takes off his clothes, gets the water, and starts washing. And that makes men of this realm and this world really uncomfortable because by implication, they know what it means. And so we see that humility serves. Secondly, we see in Peter, pride rejects and I say this all the time, guys. Just remember that pride and fear are two sides of the same coin. Peter seems to respond in pride. Well, if you're going to do that, you got to wash the whole, wash my, my head and my hands. But really, 
Peter is responding in fear. The fear is driving the external pride. And he sees by implication what this means, right? And then the third thing that we see after humility serves, pride rejects, is we see that faith has to receive the service of Christ. Isn't that how we receive Christ? Isn't that how we receive salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? And Jesus is saying, guess what? You got to receive me serving you in order to have a relationship with me ongoing. And so Peter's still a little uncomfortable, still reacting. He just says, hey, not just my feet, but how about my hands and my head too? And then Jesus goes into this whole thing of, hey, you know what? If you have a bath, the top part of you from head to legs, they're clean. You only need to wash your feet. And in Jesus' culture, that's the way it was. When people came into a room, the dirty part of them was the part that was walking on the dirt, the part that was wearing sandals, the part, you know, that was filthy. And so when you were going to come for fellowship, people would have their feet washed and the lowest servant would wash the feet of your guests. And so what is Jesus saying? He's like, listen, you're cleansed. You have a full cleanse, all right? You've trusted in me. You're going to trust in my person. You're going to trust in my work. We're together. You don't need a full bath. You don't need a full conversion. But for ongoing relationship with me, that is synonymous with this regular act of washing feet and trusting me in the relationship. And so when we look at both the force of demonstration, demonstration then gives way to the force of implication because Peter, the people who are watching this example being set, are making conclusions and seeing what it means for them. And they can react uh, in faith or they can react in fear as they watch the servant king humbly serve. And I think there's another very clear message in all of this. If, if you can only serve and refuse to be served, that can create a real but hidden pride that you are, you are the one who always serves. And it takes faith, actually, for Peter to be served by Jesus. But that's how we have a relationship with Jesus. It's by faith. And so there's a, there's a lot here, but let's just conclude that humility serves, that pride or fear rejects. That's Peter's response. And then Jesus says that faith receives. Sorry, I don't care if you're uncomfortable. To receive me, you got to receive me by faith. To receive my act of service, you got to receive it by faith because my service for you accomplishes everything. But my service for you is an example for you to follow. So there's the second force, uh, the force of implication. Let's look at the third force of Jesus' example, right? And that's the force of delegation. We read about that. Again, we're just picking right up where verse 11 stopped in John 13. Let's pick up uh, in verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Quote, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. 
you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Listen to this last sort of summary point. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Okay? One of the best lines in scripture, right? Now that you know these things, you've seen me give you the example. I have pointed it out to you, my intention in it. And what is Jesus saying to his men? What is he saying to us this morning? The idea or theory of being a servant isn't worth much. That's what Jesus is saying. But you know what Jesus is also saying? The practice of being a servant in big and small settings, right? Mundane and important. The practice of being a servant pleases God, fulfills our calling, and blesses other people, right? So there's the idea and, um, and concept that God's man is a servant, but if you're not serving, it isn't worth much. But the practice of serving other people, that pleases God. That confirms your calling as a follower of Christ, confirms your identity. Your, your, your tree is recognized by the fruit of service. And in the force of delegation, just like in the force of demonstration and in the force of implication, the force of delegation has some dynamics going on to it, and there's three of them, and I want you to write them down. In the force of delegation, you see a clear intention. Right? Jesus is passing this along. Right? He says, do you understand what I've done for you? Because right? he had an intention for doing it. All right? And then he also says, I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done. All right? What's the clear intention? Is to model. Right? To model for his guys. This is, this is the way you are. This is the way to be. This is the way to behave, all right? The second thing we see in the force of delegation is strong action, right? Actions speak. Actions are the strongest message that you can send. Jesus could insist on the guys being servants and serving people and serve one another and wash each other's feet. But you know what the strongest message is? doing it yourself. And let me tell you guys, the world does not anymore need any more Christians through social media or whatever um, insisting that people live like they do. You know what the strongest message is? Live out your faith. And then have people ask, you know, why, why, do, you, why do you do what you do? Why do you do these, these things? Why do you do this shocking service? Let me tell you something. That's the dangerous good movement. The third thing that we see after clear intention, strong action is a strong direction to multiply what they've seen, right? Now that you know these things, you are blessed if you what? If you do them, right? So what you've seen, what you've experienced with me, multiply that. So there's, your, there's the three forces of Jesus's example the force of demonstration, the force of implication. It, it communicates. 
right? The force of delegation, right? And that those three things all fall on us. Jesus demonstrates a way to be and believe and behave as a man. The implication is he wants us to, to be the same. And then he's delegating to us that way of believing and behaving as people who follow Christ. So write this down. Here's our takeaway. If you don't get anything from this session, take away this. Taking Jesus seriously to Jesus means following his example. I mean, listen to Jesus's endgame. Here's some other words that he said to the disciples. In Luke 640, he says, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. All right, circle fully trained like their teacher, like their teacher in what way? How they believe and how they behave because behaviors reflect beliefs and beliefs drive behaviors. So Jesus does, the disciples watch, the disciples do. I'm gonna say that again. Jesus does, the disciples watch, the disciples do. So. What's our application for today, right? Really simple. Look at your downloaded notes. What Jesus models for me is meant for me. And we're just gonna pick three things that that means right now, today, tomorrow, the next day, until we come face to face with Jesus, all right? First thing it means is I will serve radically. I will serve radically. Look at your notes, Luke 22. Jesus is comparing and contrasting the way the world operates and men who are cultural operate and then the way God operates and God's men works. He says this, Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Whoa, all right? There's a, there's a, a bunker buster for broken male culture. Broken male culture says, accumulate power, accumulate influence, accumulate wealth, and then act entitled and other people, because of your wealth and power and influence, other people are supposed to serve you and they're less than you. And then Jesus just goes, but you don't act like that. Wherever you are, whatever context you're in, whatever family you're in, whatever work environment you're in, whatever neighborhood situation, you're in, you serve. And Jesus points to himself as what? The example, right? Isn't the one who sits at the table greater than the one who serves? Then he says, but I am among you as one who serves. Guys, the dangerous good movement is men who are dangerous with goodness and they know this concept right here. They understand who they are and because they understand who they are, they're God's man, they know what to do. 
And that means that they're gonna serve people radically. And they don't expect anything back. They don't expect you to go like this. This is just who they are. This is what the people around you get because that's your truest identity. The tree is recognized by the fruit. I'm in God, I'm God's man. I know who I am, therefore I know what to do. What does that involve? It involves serving people radically. What does that involve? Breaking the rules of the way you see men behaving in culture. That is exactly what Jesus is pointing out right here. And right now, guys, that whole toxic masculinity thing, that whole strength without compassion, strength without character, you serve me, I use and abuse people for my own self-gratification, that's how culture works. What Jesus is saying is, if, it, if that's what culture does, and that's what you see in the media, and that's broken and causes people to suffer, do the exact opposite. And guys, there's 700 million of us on the planet who name the name of Jesus. What if 700 million of us got this and followed Jesus' example and said to ourselves, hey, what Jesus models for me is meant for me, and then went into the, the little and small spaces in our lives and started serving people radically. Can I just give you a, a question that you can ask right now after this session? Just ask the people around you that come in contact with you that you're with for any length of time. Hey, do you need anything? Can I get you anything? Pretty simple, right? And whatever they ask for, do it. Just do it. And you're not doing it because they deserve it. Jesus didn't serve you because you deserve it. The grace of God appeared. He served you and you didn't even deserve it. You're doing it because you know who you are. You're doing it because you're free. Look at Jesus talking about his own identity and his own activity in Matthew 20. He says this, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Man, that's Jesus's example. The tree is recognized by the fruit. Identity is reflected in activity. The son of man, identity, did not come to be served, but to serve. Activity. How about sons of the king? Brothers of Jesus. Identity. How are we supposed to be recognized? What fruit are people to see? They're to see that we're like Jesus. We're like our source, right? And that we serve too. In fact, I would highly recommend you write Matthew 20, 28, on a post-it note, a three by five card, put it, on, put it on your tablet, put it in a place where you can see it. And when you get to that intersection of, I can serve myself or I can serve other people, I want you to, to speak and declare the identity of Jesus. And by doing that, you're gonna declare your own identity. I know that many moments in my regular day, there are moments where I know God's calling me to serve, but I don't feel like serving. And what do I do in that moment? I have to overcome uh, the power of my flesh with the power of the spirit. How do I do that? I say these words. I say the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. And even if I'm, you know, doing dishes after a big dinner or taking out the garbage and I don't feel like it and I want to sit and watch, you know, basketball or sports. But I know that in that moment, I'm called to do something. I'm called to serve my family. I'm called to serve my neighbor. If I struggle with that, I got to bring the sword of the spirit into battle. And I have to put a dagger of truth into the heart of the lie that says, I exist to be served. 
So I have to confront that lie with truth and say, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And the Son of Man lives in me. Wow. Guys, that's how you do hand-to-hand spiritual battle. There are some of you guys that are listening right now. And that's what you need to do today. You need to walk through the door, extend your finish line when you get home from work, or you enter into the next environment where there are other people, and you need to, in that environment, start serving other people. And don't do it because other people deserve it or because you want to be holy. or No, that's your identity. That's who you are. You're a Christ follower who follows Christ's example. Secondly, what, what today's study means for us is not only that we'll serve radically, but we'll, we'll love sacrificially. Write that down. That's Jesus. Jesus served radically, and he loved sacrificially. John 15, 13, another one we have to commit to memory because it helps us to love. Jesus says this, greater love has no man than this, has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In other words, to be great, to love great, you don't take up, you give up. What do you give up? You lay down your life. You lay down the things that belong to your life. You know, the strongest message of love (coughs) is not words. We all know that the strongest message of love is sacrifice. It's what we call a resonator. doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer, whether you're a Christ follower or a pagan. When someone loves you enough to sacrifice themselves on your behalf, to sacrifice their time, to sacrifice their money, to sacrifice their schedule, and show up for you, that it communicates unequivocally love. You want to get your unbelieving neighbor to kind of believe that this Jesus thing is real and your message is real, love them sacrificially. Guys, you want your wife to believe that you're the real deal, that you have spiritual integrity? Love her sacrificially, right? You want your neighbor to come to Christ? You want to influence others? Love whoever God puts in your life sacrificially. Give up of yourself to take up loving, sacrificial service. In fact, Jesus was, was, was saying in the scripture in John chapter 10 that this is the essence of his example. Look at what he says. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down. Listen, of my own accord, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And I want to tell you, man of God, you have that same authority because Christ lives in you. You have authority over your flesh in Jesus. You have authority over the world and culture in Jesus. And you have authority over evil that lies to you and says, you know what? You don't need to sacrifice to love. People should love you. You have authority over that lie because Jesus is speaking truth right now. And he's saying, you know what? Intimacy with the Father, he loves me because I lay down my life of my own accord. I choose to do this. You know, guys, a waiting world would love to see men who choose to lay down their life for the sake 
of other people. And they're not doing it because they have to. They're not doing it because they want to be religious. They're not doing it because they want to be visible or posted on Instagram. They're doing it because that's who they are. They love the Father. The Father loves us. And we're laying down our lives of our own choice. Why? Because Jesus laid down his life for me. So that's the second practical meaning of what following Jesus's example is. I'm going to serve radically. Two, I'm going to love sacrificially. Three, I'm going to give and forgive generously. That's the third application. I will give and forgive generously. Look at what Jesus says to his followers. He says, freely you have received. Freely what? Freely give. So I want you to think right now, take a little inventory. What have you received from God? Have you received love from God? Have you received forgiveness from God? Have you received generosity from God? Have you received provision from God? Have you received encouragement from God? Have you received advice or counsel from God? Whatever it is that you've freely received through knowing God, Jesus says, freely give that away. You know, Christians, instead of being nitpickers and judgers in today's culture, creating distance, they should be generous givers. They should give and forgive generously because actions speak louder than words. Jesus could have insisted that his guys serve and love and give. But you know what the strongest message was of Jesus to his guys? Watching him do it. Serving people radically. More service, less this. More love, sacrificially, less this. More giving and forgiving and less this. Guys, I know that we have a living gospel that we need to communicate and share. But you know, the world and culture is giving us the Heisman. Why? Because we don't live out first what we share and speak. And you can insist all day long that people think like you. But until you love them radically, serve them radically, give and forgive generously, their ears are stuffed with cotton, man. And so we got to live the life to create the foundation to speak the message in the gospel, right? And the two go together. You can't just do all service and love and generosity without, without opening your mouth. You can't open your mouth all the time without the service and loving and being generous. They go together, right? And that's how we are salt and we are light and we are attractional as men of God. Man, the world wants this so bad. Look at what it says in the Gospels. This is Jesus talking in the parable of the debtor, right? Again, this is under giving and forgiving generously. And the context for these words is that you have a master who's forgiven the equivalent of a million dollars of a slave and releases him from the debt. Then we pick up the story. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Do you see what Jesus is saying in the parable of the debtor? 
the debtor gets his debt forgiven and then goes and chokes his buddy for a nickel that he owes him. Didn't follow the example of his master. And the words, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Man, you should have forgiven him generously, just like I forgave you generously. Freely you've received, freely give. So guys, just remember this. What Jesus models for us is meant for us. Taking God seriously, taking his person, taking his word, means taking Jesus' example seriously. Jesus verbalized it. I've set for you an example to do what? Today, you can start now serving others radically, loving sacrificially, giving and forgiving generously because that is how Jesus has related to you. That's his example to you. So on your notes, it says the world is waiting. The world is waiting. We can communicate to our wives, our children, our extended families, our communities, our cities, and our world. The message of the gospel through following Jesus's example. In fact, I put one of Jesus's final prayers to God. He was talking about us. Listen to what he said on your downloaded notes. He said, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. What did Jesus ask for? He asked that we as men of God be in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To be in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit means living like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son is our human example, guys, for how to live. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? And then he says, why don't you do what I do? I've given you an example that you should do this to others. Freely you've received, freely give. So to live like Christ, listen, is synonymous with people believing in Christ. Father, I ask that that, you you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe. Being in Christ means living for Christ. Living for Christ causes people to believe in Christ. And guys, I believe that there is a sleeping giant underneath the floorboards of the church worldwide, and it's called spirit-empowered men who are activated in their identity. And in their identity, they follow the example of Jesus, and they, they serve people radically. They love radically. They give and forgive generously. And that is going to be a wave that is going to mushroom and increase. It's why you're here on the Men's Global live stream. And now your job is the same job that Jesus gave to his initial disciples, and my job too, he's delegating to us. Be like me. Love like me. Serve like me. Give and forgive like me. And what's going to happen if you are in me and live like me? The world is going to notice, going to see the difference between sons of culture and sons of God. And we will be that salt by contact and we'll be that light by contrast. And there's going to be a harvest of souls. We're going to raise spirits. We're going to reduce loads. We're going to relieve pain. And we're going to, we're going to reach souls for Jesus. That's what's going to happen. And so I'm so glad you're here. 
Uh, this is our last part of this series. When we come back next time, we're going to start a new series. But before we go, man, just if, if you're wherever you are, I just want you, I want you to be in a posture of receiving right now. I want to declare a blessing on you. So man of God, just open your hands on like this. And, and if you're watching me or listening, maybe you're just listening to the audio podcast, but just open your hands and receive right now, straight from heaven, something from the spirit of God. Jesus, I bless my brothers. I bless my brothers with the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit right now as their hands are open, that you would just pour right now an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on them to be more like you. Jesus, your word says that you have poured the Spirit of the Son into our hearts. Lord, your word says that you want us to conform to the image of the firstborn Son. You want to make us like Christ. And Jesus, thank you that today... You're calling us to live powerfully following your example. So God, I I pray a blessing right now over every man listening to the sound of my voice that he would receive it, Lord, and that he would live it, that you would speak to him right now regarding his relationships. There are men right now, you're speaking to them uh, regarding their work. You're speaking to them regarding their family. You're speaking to them regarding their service and ministry, God, and you're calling them to serve radically, not like everybody else does or not when it's convenient, but Lord, to serve radically because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We believe that. Yes and amen. We agree. Jesus, make us like you. And then, Lord, you're calling people to love sacrificially. Lord, there are men who are being called right now, listening to my voice, to do something where they're going to lose something to gain something. Gain the kingdom. Gain trust. Gain new life in Christ. They're going to have to give up to take up the life you're calling them to live. And so I pray that they would love sacrificially. And then, Lord, I pray for those men listening to the sound of my voice that you would turn all of us into generous givers. Lord, freely we have received from you whatever it is that we've received. Help us to be the ones on earth who give away what we've received from God to other people, to please you, to confirm my calling, and to bless other people. Lord, I thank you for this movement of dangerous good men who take you seriously, Lord Jesus. Take what you say seriously and take your example seriously. God, let it be the witness to the world that they might believe that you love them. In Christ's name we ask, and God's men said, Amen.